If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and make your way to First uh, John in the New Testament. Uh, we're going to be focusing on about three verses in First John chapter two. And um, as you begin making your way there, uh, this week I had the uh, privilege to be on go to a conference up in Kansas City at the Baptist Seminary up there, and just uh, a really great time for me, um, just to have uh, some godly men pour the Word of God into my heart, which, um, you know, there's times I didn't, at that time, I, I wasn't sure that's what I needed, but God revealed that's exactly what I needed, just did some refreshing and to be renewed and refocusing, and uh, it was a really good time. Um, unfortunately, I, I did have to go alone this year. Jamie went with me last year, but uh, she couldn't get away this year, and so as I made my way up there, um, in the past, when I've gone to conferences, uh, and if I've gone alone, sometimes I'm, I'm one of those that I, I try to get in and then just get out and just, you know, I do my thing and, and you know, I, I don't have to worry about, you know, meeting anybody or knowing anybody or memorizing any names. And that's kind of selfish. So I guess that's part of my confession to you. Um, I don't know if you go to conferences and do that yourself, but I was really making an, an intent this year that I was going to, when I sat by someone, because I've been telling you all, you know, God puts people in your life, you know, they sit by you and you just need to make those encounters and talk with them. And so I had that going with my hands. So, okay, so I'm going to make an intention. When I sit in a chair, I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to talk to the people that God has put right in my life. And so I did that. And, and as, the, as the week went on, man, my heart, I've got to be honest, my heart was breaking. Um, it wasn't with every conversation that I had, but it seemed the vast majority of people that God placed in my life um, were ministers who were sharing about their struggles. And that conversation would eventually, you know, it would start off like, hey, my name's Mike. And they would say, hey, I'm so-and-so. And, and without, I would, I would just ask, so where are you at? Where are you ministering? What, you know, what church, what's God doing? And really just kind of wanting to know where they were as far as location. And so they would tell me, well, I'm a pastor at such and such a church. And man, I got to tell you, it's been hard or it's been a struggle or I'm really just, man, I, I don't know. I'm just, uh. and it, it wasn't every conversation. I don't want you to think that every person I talked to were just like, Bleh. but uh, there was, there was so many of those conversations throughout uh, Monday and all day Tuesday as I was introducing myself. And, and there were some good ones as, as well, people praising God, what, what God is doing. But just ministers and other men of God just struggling where God has placed them and what, what is going on within the church um, to the point that I could definitely tell that Matt Chandler knew what God wanted him to do. Matt Chandler did the very last uh, message on Tuesday evening and at the end of his message, he didn't have an invitation, but he asked that every individual there that was at a point where they were ready to quit and ready to give up, if they would just stand up while everyone else, their heads were bowed and, everyone, and they stood up. And then at that moment, he said, now that you're standing, I want you to remain standing because I want everyone around you to also open their eyes and come and lay your, their hands upon you and to pray over you. And as I opened my eyes and just looked out at the, the thousands in attendance um, and just seeing how such a large percentage of pastors and ministers ready to quit, just ready to be done, just, just tired of the race, just beaten down, just the passion was not there. It just broke my heart. And part of the reason it broke my heart is I was having those conversations was that 
I'd been in that place. I, I'd been there where I, I, it's like, God, what in the world are you doing? You know, if you really are in charge, why are you letting this happen? How can you let them get away with this? And I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm not going to, I don't know everybody's background story, but I just want to say what a privilege and honor it is to be able to be a pastor who can brag about his church. If you're visiting Harvest Hill, man, I'm so glad you're here. And this may be the place where God wants you. It may not be. But if you're looking for a church family that just is healthy and is continuing to grow in their health and their love of God, man, this is the place to be because God has been moving in this place. Are we perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Do we mess up? You better believe it because we need Jesus Christ every single day. But what happens here? It's just beautiful. Because as these guys were, were telling me about their church and their struggles, and there were so many different things going on, they would, they would apologize. And I don't know if they thought I was a Southern Baptist priest or something like that or some sort of spiritual counselor. I don't know. But they were like pouring out their hearts to the point these men were tearing up. And then they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're, you, what was your name again? So where are you? What's going on with your church? And, and I'm like, oh, man, the Harvest Hill is awesome. And we've seen 14 salvations this year. We've had over 30 new members. We launched Bible study class. And, and now we keep having to move our adult class because we don't have enough room. And, and so now we're expanding to another class. We've got discipleship model we launched. And we had a kitchen renovation we paid for. We're getting ready to go out in the community and do some trunk or treat and, and some fofty. And we've been seeing kids getting saved and adults and students. It's just incredible. And so they would look at me and be like, that's great. <laughs> and I don't know what happened, but they wouldn't talk with me the rest of the time. They were just kind of sit there in silence. And I was like, well, I could have done that in the first place. But man, I know that there are people here in this room who have gone through struggles in life. I know there are people in this room who have been hurt by other brothers and sisters in Christ. I know there are people in this room who have been hurt by the church. It amazes me the statistics that those people who claim to be atheists, agnostics, are those people who have been most hurt by the church, whether it's been by a parental figure or someone within the church who has some sort of authority, that they've been hurt and they want nothing to do with the church anymore. Now, as I was going over this passage of Scripture, I kept thinking, how in the world, God, does this relate to Harvest Hill? Man, it seems like we just have fellowship. I mean, we, we, people don't just rush out the door when we say amen. People hang out and they talk, and, and we laugh at business meetings. I mean, and that's even when we're talking about guns. If you missed that, you, I mean, you missed that. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing at business meetings. It seems like we're, we're just, we're, we're connecting. So how, God, does this have to do with what is going on at Harvest Hill? But God kept saying, this is, this is the passage, this is the passage, because we've been going through this remain in love, and we've been focusing on, you know, remaining connected to God, remaining connected to the vine, remaining, you know, focused, being trusting in God and committing our way to God and being still before God. And, and to see that, you know, when we do that, when we remain in Christ, because Christ says that we, apart from him, we can do nothing, nothing. We can't do anything good, anything worthy of the kingdom of God, anything of eternal significance without being attached, clinging to, dwelling in Jesus Christ and dwelling in his word. And the point is to bear fruit that people would see we belong to Christ, that we were performed as if we were Christians, as disciples, as believers, that people would see that coming out of our life. And the way we remain is we be obedient. But when we're obedient, even though that word may hold like, oh, you know, that sounds like rules and regulations. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. This is to liberate you. 
This is to free you. This is that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full, may be complete, may be overflowing out of your life because you've got nothing to hide before God, nothing to hide before him because you're remaining in my teachings. You're not going beyond it. You're not looking at the scriptures and saying, you know what, I like this part, but this part, not so much. We're taking the whole word of God for what it is and applying our life so we live it out and remain in him. And that's what we've been focusing on. That's where remaining in love has to be. It has to start with God, but the reality of what Scripture and what God is showing me and what He's going to show us today is that our relationship with other believers, our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ impacts our remaining attached to God. And this message for some of us here this morning may be, oh man, that's something I need to hear. And some of us here this morning, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you so hard because God is going to reveal someone in your life that you are not attached to. You are not loving the way you're commanded to love. You're not forgiving. You're holding bitterness and anger and hatred. And that, even though you may think it's against one person, that is impacting your relationship with God and it's impacting your relationship with every other individual in your life. It is huge. If you have your Bible with us, with you, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And the word of the Lord says, The one who says that he is in the light, but hates his brother or sister. And that brother says that's a term used for a fellow believer. Is in the darkness until now. Verse 10, the one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray together. Father, I am not worthy to be used by you in this moment to open up your word, the holy, holy, holy God speaking to me, through me, to your people. Father, I'm unworthy of that. Father, I praise you because you are a God who is holy, yet you are a God who is personal. You're a God who sits on his throne, but you're a God who resides in our hearts. Father, I praise you that your spirit is in this place, that your spirit resides in the hearts of your children. Father, I pray that your word this morning, that your spirit would open up the scriptures as you did with your first disciples, as you did with the first followers, those who are wanting to remain in you, that you would open the scriptures and give us understanding, give us discernment. Lord, show us those places where we need to be corrected. Give us to the place of of repentance and transformation that we can be remaining in you. Lord, I know this message may be hard for some to hear. It may even be harder for some to apply. Lord, I ask that your loving voice be what speaks to us. Knowing that you want us to be in your presence. You want us to hear from you. You want us to be able to listen to you and to talk to you, to remain connected to you. So let your word just come out. Let it invade us. Father, I pray that your will would be done, your kingdom would come in this place and this time. Amen. 
As we look at this passage of Scripture, again, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, we're just going to kind of uh, anchor down here for a little bit. There's, there's several key terms that we need to grasp in order to understand what John is led by the Holy Spirit to be telling us. One of those is light and the other is darkness. In, in the Bible, light can sometimes be referring to literal light, like we have the lights in the ceiling or you see the sunlight coming down on you. And, the, and, and that happens. But the majority of times in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, light and darkness is a metaphorical statement. It, it is trying to give an image or a picture into our mind of a spiritual state of people. It usually speaks about the light or darkness of an individual's heart or the light or darkness within a group of people or the light or darkness that is surrounding a spiritual situation. And so what John is doing here is he's taking this, these teachings of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit he's given this understanding that the word light in Scripture is to let us know that it refers to all that is holy, all that is godly, all that is righteous. And John has come to this understanding that believers, now that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, that He was the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again that we can, we can be forgiven, and we've confessed that because we believe it, that now Jesus, the light of the world, now puts His Spirit inside of us so that we can now be the light into the world. So in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, it is a command. It's not like you will become the light or someday I hope you will be the light, but you are right now the light. And so John is taking this understanding of light and darkness and he's talking to believers. That's the phrase brothers and sisters. He's not talking to those who would not have faith in Jesus Christ. They're in the darkness right now. But we as believers have been shown the light. We've stepped in God, into God's marvelous light. And now we have the light dwelling inside of us and we are called to be living in the light. And so John is taking this idea of light and he's applying to believers that now that you have the light inside of you and you are now the light of the world, you are to be living in holiness. You are needing to be living in godliness. You are to be living in righteousness. You are to be living like Jesus in this world, shining the light out. But then there's this thing that impacts the light in our life. And that's darkness. When darkness comes into our life, it keeps us from remaining in Jesus. It keeps us from being like-minded with Jesus and belonging to Jesus and walking with Jesus. It, it infects us because darkness is the complete opposite of light. We understand that. If you have kids, you understand that. Most kids, when you turn off the light, what do they want? They want a nightlight or something shining in the room. And, and, and there's times I still want that nightlight shining in the room, at least so I can find the bathroom, right? I mean, we, we like light because it enables us to see. Well, darkness in Scripture talks about those who are unable to see. But John is making this picture here that these are believers, these are believers that are in the darkness. They are spiritually blind to their situation. And what is the situation that John is dealing with? He's dealing with disharmony among believers. Disharmony among God's children and the brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, we focus on remaining in love and remaining attached to God and obedient to God and obedient to Christ's teachings. But the reality is our remaining also requires us to live in love with one another. And that means not only in the place that you call your church home or your church family, but that means every believer on this planet. Now, 
When I say every believer, I mean every believer who preaches the Word of God and sticks to the Word of God. That is what a believer is. Not someone who adds to it or goes beyond it. But every believer. So the reality is, you may be here and look across this room like, you know what, Pastor Mike, I'm good with everyone here. But then you have past experiences from another church, and there's someone there that when that person comes to mind, I'd give them the right hand of fellowship if I could. And there's something in your heart that every time you see that person, every time that person comes to mind, every time someone mentions that person's name, every time you run into another individual that reminds you of that person, something in your heart begins to boil. That's darkness. That's what John is talking about. That's the blindness. Because that, John uses a very stern word. He uses the word hate. My mama always said, you never say you hate somebody. Hate's too strong of a word. Because that word means, it means to detest. It's not just like, well, you know, I just don't get along with it. It means I detest that person. And again, if we go back to the passage here, John is speaking about brothers and sisters. These are believers. These are those who have come to the faith. And what we have to understand is that hatred, when I have that thing that boils inside me, hatred gives birth to anger. And according to Jesus Christ, to be angry at someone is the same as murdering them in our heart. It's to look at that person and want them dead. You say, I wouldn't go that far, Pastor. But you have to admit, there, if you have a response to some individual, that, that's there. That's what God sees. He doesn't just see hatred. He sees a murderous heart. And when we allow our anger to build, that turns to bitterness. And what bitterness does is bitterness makes us not only bitter at that person, bitterness makes us bitter at God for not doing something about that person, and bitterness makes us bitter against other people because they remind us of that person or a preacher who tells us we need to go deal with that person. And God is saying, you know what? You need to get out of the darkness because this darkness is blinding you and it's keeping you from remaining in my love and in my light. This is the road of unforgiveness. The Bible says we are ministers of reconciliation. I mean, we are to reconcile with one another and we are to reconcile others to God. That's our plea. But the road for unforgiveness leads to hatred, which gives birth to anger and then birth bitterness. From there, hatred, anger, and bitterness, you know what that leads to? Self-righteousness. And how this plays out in your life is, is you look at that person and you feel that you're in the right and they are obviously in the wrong. Feel I'm much smarter than they because if they knew what they did, they would have figured it out by now. I must know God better than them. I must know the word of God better than them. I must be living better for God than them. I'm self-righteous. I no longer see them as someone that I should be loving and commanded to love. Now I see them as an enemy. And this is someone we're going to spend eternity with. 
Can you imagine being bitter and angry with someone your entire life that is a fellow believer? And then when you stand before the Father and he says, all right, everybody, let's sing hymn number two, holy, holy, holy. You're ready to sing, you turn to your right. And there's that person you've been mad at your entire life, worshiping the same God that you claim to have worshiped your whole life. I think, I think God's going to have signed seating in heaven. Some of y'all already have a signed seating. And I think if you have someone that is a fellow believer that you're angry with, you're bitter with, you have hatred towards, God's going to be like, all right, you're in seat A and Joe Schmoe's in seat two. Where's Joe? Joe's not here. Joe Schmoe's in seat two. And you're going to be surrounded by all these people that you would not reconcile with, you would not forgive. And God's going to be like, you know what? This is what I wanted you to do. And now that you're in my presence, you're going to realize how stupid you've been your entire life by harboring this in your heart. And we look at this and we're like, you know what, Pastor? And I don't know every detail. I know there are people that I've talked with in this church that have come from some horrendous places. And there's been things that have happened in their life from believers, from churches, from pastors, from deacons, from Sunday school teachers, from youth pastors that have broken them, that have made them mad, and have brought them to this place where they just wanted to start. You know, a lot of of church plants, it's not the way this one started, but a lot of church plants happen because of church splits. We like to think it's the healthier reason, but a lot of the reason is one group can't get along with another group, and so we're like, all right, we're leaving. We're done with this. A good portion of Christians in America today are considered church hoppers. What that means is they're at a church and then something goes the way they didn't want it to go, and since they didn't have like all the backing they thought, they leave. And so they go to another church. And then the same thing happens there. And so they leave and they go to another church. And then it happens again. They leave. And what they can't figure out is we are a church saved by grace because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all sinners. We're all a mess. And sometimes that mess comes out. There's no one in here who's perfect. And when you stand before the Father and that person next to you, you may be holding a bitterness with and you're like, oh, wow, oh, I forgot they'd be here. And you live this life right now saying, you know what, Pastor Mike, if you knew what they, would do, what they did, if you knew what they said, if you knew how they treated me, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Let me throw that right back at you. Do you and I deserve the forgiveness we've been given? When we stand before God and he says, why didn't, why didn't you love your brother? Why didn't you love your sister? I say, well, they didn't deserve it. Did I deserve the cross? Did I deserve Jesus' blood being poured out? Did I deserve him to cry out, Abba, Abba, why have you forsaken me? Did I deserve for people to ridicule him and spit on him and lash him and beat him to the point that the Bible says he was no longer be able to be seen as a man? You couldn't even recognize him as a man. Did I deserve that? Did I deserve God to say it's not by what Mike Hurchin does, but it's, it's about what I've done for you. It is, a, it is a gift. It is grace. It is mercy. Did I deserve that? You see, when I have an unforgiving heart because of hatred or anger or bitterness or whatever that reason, whatever that situation was, when I have an unforgiving heart, all it recognizes is that my heart does not realize how much God loves me. It has nothing to do with that person. 
It's just my heart has not come to understand how much God has done for me, how much I don't deserve this gift, how much I don't deserve this grace, how much I don't deserve forgiveness for eternity. So I've got to release it. Because if I don't, I will be in the darkness. I will be blind to what God is wanting me to see in my life. John also uses this other phrase, this word that is throughout Scripture, and that is the word love. There are three Greek words, which the New Testament is written in Greek, three Greek words that, that we read as, in English as love. And they mean vastly different things. One Greek word is the sexual love, and, and that, that word is not found in the New Testament. The other love is phileo love. Phileo love is brotherly love. It is, it is to have an affection for a brother or sister. And that would make the most sense for, God, for John to be led to use that word here when he says the one who loves his brother or sister remains in life. But that is not the word that John uses. John was led to use by the spirit agape or agapeo love. That is sacrificial love. So John is saying the one who sacrifices himself for his brother or sister, the one who brings himself to his brother or sister's level, the one who does not think highly or more than he should about himself but humbles himself, he is the one who remains in the light. See, Jesus said that they will know that you are my disciples or that you belong to me, that you're remaining in me by the way you love one another. That's a key indicator for people outside of the church to know that we belong to Christ, is that we are actually getting along with brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're, they go to Harvest Hill or some other church. It's by the way we love one another. Paul writes to the Roman believers that you should love one another deeply, or you should love one another intensely as brothers and sisters in Christ. You should outdo one another in showing honor. We should be sacrificial in our love, meaning we think of the other person before we think of ourselves. That means there's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for I'm better than you. Well, I must know God better than you. Or I have it more figured out more than you. There's no room for that. And the motivator for this comes out of 1 John in chapter 4. Where John writes, love consists of this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. And no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete. Here's the toe stepper, heart puncher. To remain in love, we have to get over ourselves. And I say that, trust me, I come from a past where there was a time that I was mad at God and I was mad at other believers and I was mad at a church. I've been there. I've done that. I'm not saying that from a place where, where I haven't been there, but I, I came to this understanding that my anger towards a church and, and, and another individual and, and some people at that church was hindering my relationship with God, the most important relationship I have in my life. Because you know what I was focusing on in that moment? 
man. And put them in their place. God's going to bring judgment upon them. I was angry. And it affected my heart. It was causing me to be blind to what God was wanting me to see and what we do. But the beauty of the gospel is God knows where you are in this moment. And I have no doubt that this message is meant for Harvest Hill because I have no doubt there are people here who are mad at another believer. It may be your mom, your dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa. You may be mad at your parents right now because they drug you to church. The Bible says that if we allow anger to build, we will be blind. And we cannot be in darkness and still remain in God. That is not a salvation remark. Okay? What that means is we will not see what God has set aside for us to do in this life. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 real quick. Galatians was written, uh, Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 2 through 5 just real quick. Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul, written to a church in Galatia. church that was having a lot of problems. Man, they were, there was bitterness, there was anger. People had some, some superiority issues, thinking that they were better than someone else. And Paul is writing to them, partly because Paul you know, planted this church, but partly to deal with the issues that are going on. And we're jumping in in the latter part of the, of the letter they write beginning in verse 2. This is the instruction Paul is writing to this church that is being very divisive. And they're not in harmony. He says, carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. And I believe the key verse that Paul is writing here is what we call verse 3. And Paul says, For if anyone considers himself something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And here's the truth we all need to understand. You may have a situation in your past where you are definitely right, and that person was wrong. It, it happens, okay? It happens. But I guarantee you there's a time in your life where you were wrong and another person was right. Because <laughs> that happens too, right? You can be at least humble enough to say that. But the godly individual in every situation has to come to a place that before God I am nothing. And in verse 3, Paul says, if anyone considers himself something, that is someone who feels that they have pride feel that they are better, feel that they were in the right, feel that they have a place to stand, a pulpit to stand on, a box stand to make their point. And Paul says, if you feel you're something, you need to realize that you are in fact nothing. See, we have no ground to stand on except that of the foundation of Jesus Christ. We have nothing without Jesus Christ except sinners before a holy God. We are nothing without the love of God but condemned before him. We are nothing without the indwelling spirit but lost. And we are nothing without the gospel. See, it's not about us anymore. I gave up my rights. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a slave to righteousness, which means I need to live righteously or right before God. And so I may have a quarrel. I may have a bargaining chip. I may have a place to stand. But the reality is God says, get over it. 
Get over it because look what Paul says there in verse 5. For each person will have to carry his own load. And this is what God is trying to tell us. Because church in Galatia was a mess. They were fighting all the time and bickering and complaining. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. And Paul says, you know, you have your own load to bear. And the load is not your disgruntlement, your hatred, your anger towards one another. The load is what God has set aside for you to accomplish in this life for the glory of the kingdom. But if I'm living with hatred and anger and bitterness in my life, I cannot carry that load because I'm carrying all this, forgive my language, crap. I got to let it go. I've got to pick up the cross. And I have to be an instrument of reconciliation, an instrument of forgiveness. I have to humble myself and go to that person and say, you know what? I need your forgiveness because I've been thinking some very evil thoughts about you. And they may have been in the wrong. Trust me. They may have been in the wrong. That happens. But you have to, you have to go before them and say, you know what? I have been in the wrong too. This, this situation happened, and this is what I've been feeling with, and I have not been thinking of you as a brother or sister in Christ that I'm going to spend eternity with. So I need your forgiveness now. I don't know if I ever shared to Jamie about this. I mentioned we were last church we were at in Illinois. Um, I was there for five years ministering to students, and um, the kids were growing, and in their relationship with God, the youth ministry was growing, and things were going well. We we had a a stirring in our hearts that God was calling us back to Missouri, but we didn't know exactly when. Um, I was hoping to see the class that had come in in seventh grade, see them graduate, which they were going to be uh, seniors that next school year. And so we thought maybe that's when God will tell us to go. But we, we knew he was calling us back to Missouri at some point in time. And the church was kind of, kind of rough. Um, it was a Southern Baptist church, but it's very traditional in nature. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to tradition. Tradition is good. I mean, we're going to set up a Christmas tree in a couple months because that's a family tradition. And I'm going to eat turkey on Thanksgiving because that's a tradition. And we'll probably put Christmas lights up because that's a tradition. And you'll probably meet with your family because that's a tradition. And there's good traditions and bad traditions. Bad Traditions become bad when they become laws. Like, that's what you have to do. And this church was very legalistic. Southern Baptist traditional, and I'm not. <laughs> um, I believe in Southern Baptist doctrine. I believe the way Southern Baptists interpret the scriptures. I believe that is accurate, um, but I don't believe in holding to things simply because that's the way we always have done it. And so our youth started seeing some things that they'd like to see change because they wanted to see their friends come to Christ. And so they would go to the pastors and the deacons and leaders church, hey, can we start incorporating like maybe one song um, that we learned at camp or one song we learned at this retreat and, and, and maybe like the, Mike can play the guitar and we can sing it. And flat out said, if that's the church you want, you should probably go find it. And so the church began to get mad when our youth would wake up early enough to come to Bible study, but then they would leave before church started. And I, I don't know all the details of what happened, but basically what happened, I went into to work on Thursday, sat behind my desk and was beginning to get everything ready, uh, make sure I'm prepped for Sunday. 
Um, pastor came in and said, hey, can I talk with you for a moment? I said, sure. I went out of the norm, went into his office, sat down, and he says, this is your last Sunday. I was speechless. And, and then he added, I guess, to it's a consultation, so you don't have to be here if you don't want to. Well, that's when my heart started growing with anger and bitterness. And as I walked out, I'm going to be there. I'm going to show him, you know, prove my point. <laughs> Showed up Sunday. I had deacons coming up and say, hey, what happened? They didn't know. They heard I was leaving. I said, no, I got fired. You should probably talk to the pastor. I had people on the personnel committee, hey, what happened? I figured you would at least know. And people on the budget committee, hey, what's going on? I heard you're leaving. It came to my revelation that whatever happened, whatever got to that point was done in darkness. Because they didn't want everybody to know what was going on, and that made me even more mad. But now I wasn't just mad at the pastor. Now I was mad at the church because they weren't going to take a stand, and now I was mad the people who went to that church, and then I eventually came mad at God. It took about five months. Is May, we moved to Owensville, Missouri. Uh, living with the in-laws. Woo-hoo. And uh, it was late June, and God convicted my heart that my anger caused a separation not only between me and him, but me and my wife, me and my kids, and for me to even be able to be in a position like this. It was a late June night. Jamie was downstairs with the kids and her folks watching TV, probably eating popcorn, probably. And I wrote a letter to the pastor. And in that letter, I told him that I don't know what brought the decision that was brought, I don't know what came about to lead to that situation. And I don't need to know because God knows. That's, that's kind of a stab. I'm sorry, but I did it. <laughs> God knows. But I need to apologize to him because I and the church because I have had so much anger in my heart towards them. And I just need to release that because it's not spiritually healthy. And so I forgive them for whatever caused them to come to this decision, and I ask for their forgiveness for my emotional feelings and talking about them in a negative light. And when I did that, that's when God opened the door for me to step back into full-time ministry. What I'm trying to say is you may think your anger and bitterness is only impacting you and that other person. But the reality is it is keeping you where you are. And sometimes that anger and bitterness is so heavy and so deep that you're so blind you can't see it. So my plea for you this morning is if there's someone that you know you do not have loving thoughts towards. Would you be willing to humble yourself 
and just go and, and say, hey, I'm sorry for the way I've been feeling towards you. Now, here's the thing. There's no guarantee in Scripture that that person's going to forgive you. There's no guarantee that, that person's like, oh, wow, yeah, sure, great, buddy, pal. But there is a guarantee when you do that, you release it. You just give it to God. You, you stop carrying that load, and you carry the load that God has set aside for you to do to bring glory to him. There's another load in Scripture that you may be carrying that you need to let go of, and that's the load of sin. One thing about this conference that revealed to me is there's been times I've been filling myself with stuff that was not of God that I don't need to be doing that. But God, our God loves us. He's so personal. He wants to be involved in our life. He, he tells us to listen to his voice, which means he wants to be speaking to our hearts. Sometimes we fill ourselves with so much garbage of this world that there's no place for God to get in there. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer and you don't have anger or bitterness, but you do have a load of sin and you just need to release that. You just come before the Father. You don't need, maybe you don't need to go to person. Maybe you're good with all the people in your life. Man, praise God, I need to come and learn from you. We need to come before the Father and say, God, I've got this in my life, and I need to lay this at your feet. I need to ask for your forgiveness. But maybe you're here this morning, and the load of sin on you is because you have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says without Jesus Christ in our life, and, and He and He alone is our Lord and Savior, by His sacrifice and His resurrection, without Him in my life, that I am separated. There's no way I can remain in God and remain in love because I am separated from Him, and I'll be separated from Him into eternity. But because God loves you, because God is for you, He wants you in His family. He's brought you to this moment to accept His gift. Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, meaning there was no other option. It was plan Jesus all the way, all the way to eternity. His only son, that whoever, it's for anybody. It doesn't matter your past, your resume, or all that junk. It doesn't matter for anyone who would believe. Be given eternal life. You may got junk that you think that's keeping you from accepting salvation. And God is extending the invitation to just come and let me do the good work in you. Come and let me speak to you. Let me be your shepherd. Let me guide you. But here's the promise of Scripture. If I continue to carry my load of sin into eternity without ever accepting Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I will be eternally separated from God in hell. That's not a pulpit-pounding fire and brimstone. That's just the truth. And God loves you too much for you to go there. I don't know where you are this morning, but I believe that God wanted me to preach this message with this series at this moment for a reason. And if you just need to come kneel before the Father and ask God to give you strength to go and seek reconciliation with another individual, then I invite you to come and just kneel before the Father. If you're here this morning and you've just got sin in your life, you don't really have an issue with anybody in your life, but you've got sin in your life, 
and you're filling yourself up with that and you, and you want to be filling yourself with God, just come and would you lay that down? Maybe you're here and you just need Jesus Christ in your life. I'm going to stand in here. If you need someone to pray for you, I'll pray for you. Deacons and elders, if this place becomes flooded, then I invite you to come and move and pray over these people. But now's the time to respond. I'm going to invite Jeff and Bridget to come on up and let's pray together. Father, give us a heart of obedience in this moment. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have humbled me many times. You have disciplined me. You have corrected me. And Lord, even though it has been painful and difficult and scary and fears dwelled in my heart, Lord, knowing that every single time you've done it, it has been for my good. It's been because you love me. If I pray in this moment, as you have spoken to your children's hearts, and you reveal things in their hearts that don't need to be there. They're making them blind and making them live in the darkness. That in this moment, they would respond and they would just come and kneel before you and pray for strength. Lord, if there's, if there's relationship in this room right now that is not in the light, Father, give that person, give those, those people or those groups of people strength to, to go and meet one another and just pray for one another and embrace each other in fellowship and in love. Lord, I pray for the individuals here that are just carrying things they aren't meant to carry, Lord, that they're meant to just lay those at the feet of the cross. Lord, finally, I pray for those individuals that are here this morning that have come to a realization of the power of your Spirit. They are not saved. They're lost. because you love them in this moment you're revealing that I pray for that those individuals Lord I pray for them right now that that they would have the boldness to stand up and come that they would grab whoever they're with and say you're coming with me just come down and say hey I want Jesus it's become this time of invitation this time really of response Heal our hearts. Open our eyes. Give us where we felt you. Let us be doers of your word right now. Praise on your son's name.